0: Go ahead and grab your Bibles this morning and open them up to Matthew chapter 24. We are going to close out Matthew chapter 24 this morning, focusing on Matthew chapter 24 verses 36 to 51. Matthew chapter 24 verses 36 to 51. And if you're able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient word this morning, starting in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house get broken into. Therefore you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions, But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to eat, beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So as we've been working through Matthew chapter 24, when we get to this text, the Lord Jesus Christ has been explaining to the 12 disciples the basic general timeline of events leading up to and during the end of the age, which as we've learned over the last couple of months, is actually quite easy to follow. So let's recap a little bit, shall we? After leaving the temple and the city of Jerusalem, Jesus told his disciples, as they were marveling at the awe-inspiring and the breathtaking buildings of the temple complex, Jesus said to them that these will soon be destroyed beyond recognition, saying to them in chapter 24, verse 2, You see all of these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. It's a rather shocking statement for the twelve, who, when they arrived with Jesus at the Mount of Olives outside the city of Jerusalem, after Jesus had left his time condemning the Pharisees, As Jesus sat there on that mountain, the disciples came to Jesus privately to ask him a question. To ask him a question about what they had just heard him say. And in chapter 24, verse 3, they say to him, tell us, when, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? For the disciples asking this question... They assumed that the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, would coincide with the end of the age. When the city was destroyed, and when the temple stones were knocked off of each other, When the stones were thrown down, that means or that signals that Messiah would immediately, almost immediately return to establish his kingdom on earth and rule over the nations of the earth from his throne in a restored, gloriously reestablished Jerusalem. And those nations that did not want to submit, he would rule over them anyway with a rod of iron as per Psalm 2. And the disciples also believed that when this happened, they, the twelve, would be given Positions of high honor and esteem in that kingdom. So they ask him the question, when? When will this happen? But as Jesus answers the question, the answer spans the entire chapter 24 and chapter 25. As he answers the question, he makes it clear that their timeline and their expectation as to how the events are going to play out don't line up with the plan of God for those events. And as we read Matthew chapter 24, the order is actually quite clearly laid out, quite easily laid out. Chapter 24, verses 4 to 14, describe and speak to the characteristics that will define the age that leads up to the end. During these times, the times that we find ourselves living in right now, these times that have at this point spanned almost 2,000 years, during these days. God's people living on earth must remain vigilant. We must stay awake, be on guard. We must take up the whole armor of God that we can withstand, so that we can persevere, so that we can endure in this evil day. Because during these days and in our days, as the Apostle John wrote in his first letter, we know that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one verbatim, 1 John five nineteen. And so during these days, the people who love the Lord Jesus Christ and want to represent Him, who to be His ambassadors, to shine as lights in the world, the Apostle Paul tells us, we must stand having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace and in all circumstances to take up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit and with all prayer and supplication. This is what the Apostle Paul tells us we must do in our day. Why? Because, as Paul wrote we must keep alert with all perseverance. And why must we keep alert with all perseverance? Why must we stand on the truth? Because during these days, many will come and claim to be or claim to speak for the Lord Jesus Christ who do not speak for Christ and and are not the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will lead many who profess Christ astray. They will work and they will labor from the inside of the church and from the outside to turn people away from Jesus and to turn them into carbon copies of their worldliness. They will labor to bring people who profess Jesus to dash their profession of faith to pieces because they love the world and they've been deceived. They haven't taken up the armor. And during these current days, Jesus said there will be and there are wars and rumors of wars. And we know this. I've been reading articles just this week about certain eastern nations expanding their military readiness and expanding their military capabilities and expanding their drafts and being on a heightened, a heightened uh, wartime position. But as the people of Christ as the people who know that Jesus is king who rules over all things, we are not to be alarmed. We're not to be alarmed by any of this, because this is, according to Jesus, the normal, expected course of events among the deceived and the rebellious in the world. Wars and rumors of wars are going to characterize life in a world that is led by darkened hearts and futile minds. But all of the wars and all of the rumors of wars do not mean that the end is upon us. It doesn't even mean that the end is near by our conception of time, at least. We know that nation will rise against nation, that kingdom will rise against kingdom, and along with and on top of all of this, the world will suffer from famines and earthquakes and all sorts of natural disasters throughout these days. And all of these... According to Jesus in chapter 24, verse 8, all of these are but the beginnings of the pains, of the birth pains. These are the Braxton Hickses. These are the early labor contractions. During these days leading up to the end, those who profess Christ will be delivered up to tribulation, and you should thank God every day that you haven't been yet because it should be on your radar. You should be expecting and on watch and on guard for the day when you might be delivered up to tribulation and will you persevere, will you endure. This has been the expected reality for the truly vocal, obedient disciple of Christ for most of history and throughout most of the world today. Affliction, hardship, torment, For the sake of their profession. Many have been, are, and will be put to death because of their unshakable commitment to and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, but the children of Christ who reflect Jesus to a world that is in love with its sin and in love with its darkness those believers who are legitimately salt and light in the world, seeking to preserve and to halt the world's decline into increasing sin and madness, those believers who shine the light of Christ into the world's darkness, exposing its sin, every one of you who lives this way will be hated by the world that we live in. So don't be shocked or surprised when you are hated because you are acting like a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see it in our own day. Just look at the way Christians who love the Lord Jesus and want to see lost souls delivered from the domain of darkness and brought into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. Look at the way those who hope to see souls delivered from enslavement to sin, from the tyranny and the bondage of their own flesh and the devil, and ushered into and conducted into the marvelous light of Jesus. Look at how they are treated by the world we live in. Don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard because Jesus told us this will be the case and this will continue until the end of the age. You and I, who love and rejoice in our precious, exalted, and wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, you and I will be hated by all nations for the sake of and for the name of Jesus. And there will be times that people will, those who profess faith, there are times that it is quite common, quite often we see many professing Christians both abandon and shipwreck that profession because the world turns up its heat. I was checking my Apple Music feed the other day and there's a little section that says new, new releases. New releases. And there were some bands that I used to listen to when I was a teen as in my early Christian years that released some new albums. And I thought, oh, whoa, blast from the past. I'm going to listen to these. And only to see the letter E on all the songs. The letter E meaning that they're all explicit, meaning they're all filled with cuss words now. They've now all renounced their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They shipwrecked and abandoned their faith And it's funny, I I started on a deep dive, I started looking into what happened, what happened, and all their stories are the same. I felt judged by the Christians, I felt judged by the church, and in my mind I'm thinking to myself, it's not, it's easy to blame Christians, it's easy to blame other people. You just loved your sin more than you loved your Lord, and so you chose your sin over Jesus, and now you need to look through the Rolodex of reasons why you're going to say you did what you did. They loved their sin, and now they speak out against Christ and against the people of Christ with an, a heightened intensity. It's sad. They have turned on and hated and betrayed the very people that they once considered family, the very people they once considered brothers and sisters in the Lord, and you will see that happen when somebody makes shipwreck of their faith. They will be even more antagonistic to the faith they once held, more antagonistic to the brothers and sisters they once lived in relationship with and in community with than even the people in the world are. And during these days, lawlessness will be increased, said Jesus, meaning things will continue to grow worse and worse, and this increase of lawlessness means more and more chaos, and this chaos means more the love of more people grow cold as they turn inward to caring about themselves. People are going to not care about what happens to other people. They'll simply be looking out for number one, meaning themselves, regardless of what that means for those around them. And as we live in these days, the call of the Lord Jesus Christ to you and I in the here and now is quite simple. If the Holy Spirit lives in you because you have turned to the Lord Jesus Christ by grace through faith in his name, and you are saved, then you endure, you persevere. And this is not as a passive act, as in hold out, be strong, remain firm, stay resolute, resist, but it also means endure and persevere in your active efforts in the world to proclaim and preach the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to everyone in the world as a testimony, Jesus said in verse 14, to the nations. That phrase means a couple of things. The preaching of the gospel in and to the world during this age, during this time, serves a twofold purpose. First, By this preaching, people will be saved. People will turn to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance and souls will be granted the wonderful gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Hallelujah! We celebrate and praise the Lord for this miracle, the power, the steadfast love, the commitment of our Lord to saving the souls of men. And second... The preaching of the gospel while saving people also serves to testify against those who refuse to turn to Jesus Christ in faith. The nations will hear the good news offered and they refuse and now they must and will bear the consequences for that unwillingness to submit to Christ as Lord and to trust Him as Savior. This season of humanity, the one described in verses 4 to 14, Will come to an end. And humanity will then be launched into another period of time. That of the Great Tribulation, as we read about in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 28. Jesus described this period as, look at verse 21, Great Tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never. Will be. These days will be so catastrophic, so devastating, so cataclysmic that, verse 22, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. This time of tribulation is one of tremendous distress brought upon the earth by the Lord. This time comes after he removes, after he gathers up his church from the world, those with real and true faith in Jesus, those for whom Christ has already taken upon himself the wrath of God in their place as their substitute for their sin, because they turned to Jesus in faith. These will be taken from the earth, and the Lord will then vent his furious wrath upon all who refuses offer of salvation in Christ, both Jew and Gentile. These days of tribulation are described in Revelation chapters 6 to 16. There we read about the seven seals being opened, the seven trumpets being blown, and the seven bowls of wrath being poured out. These days will be unlike anything the world has ever experienced and had these days not been limited, the text says no human being would survive. But for the sake of the elect, for the sake of those the Lord has chosen to save during these days of tribulation, during the days of these calamitous events, they will be limited and short. And at the conclusion of that great tribulation, we read in chapter 24, verse 29, that the Lord will return. Verse 29, we read, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So to simplify all of this, 4 to 14, speak of the signs characterizing the times leading up to the end of the age. 15 to 28, speak of the times of tribulation that come after the times leading up to the end, after those times conclude. And then immediately after, in verses 29 and 30, after that tribulation, the Lord Jesus Christ will return on the, pa- on the clouds with, great, with power and great glory, as noted in 29 to 30. And after all of this, Jesus sums up the order of events with an exhortation. An exhortation to be a student of the times, a student of the seasons, to be aware and to be looking out at what is happening and to make the appropriate preparations as you live in the here and now. Now, if you are at all familiar with eschatology or with the last things with the scriptural witness to the end times you will see that a certain event has not yet been explicitly mentioned we've alluded to it but that it now gets referenced in verses 36 to 51 these verses in chapter 30, in verse 36 to 51 form both They do two things. They form an exhortation to the believers today to remain alert, to remain watchful, to be prepared for the Lord Jesus Christ's return, as we see in verse 42. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So they form an exhortation to staying awake, and it also, at the same time, provides information about an event that has been overly sensationalized by the fictional, hear that again, the fictional left behind novels and movies. We call this event, in popular language, the rapture. Now, I just want you to know that I despise that word, rapture. And I generally refuse to use that word because of all the baggage that is attached to it. Using the word rapture obviously calls to mind a specific series of events that you have been trained to think about by the movies and by 80s and 90s church. The idea of a secret disappearance of believers from the earth while planes and trains and cars all crash over, all over the place and there are neatly folded piles of clothes littering the landscape and the people on earth are running to and fro. If you're Nicolas Cage, you're driving your Harley looking for the people you love, where are they? Where are they? And nobody knows what happened. That is not how scripture describes this event. And so I prefer to use other phrases. See, the word rapture is not a word that's actually biblical or in the Bible. It is a word used in an old Latin translation. And they translated the Greek word harpazo All right, we got some Greeks here. They told me they're going to keep up on my on my Greek. Harpazo, they translated that word into raptura. And so we use that we use the Latin word, when we should use the Greek word. It is the word used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, when we read, We who are left will be caught up. That word caught up is harpazo. That word harpazo in Koine Greek, the old Greek, means to be snatched up, to be seized and grasped and taken away. All of these words are better than rapture. We can call it the snatching, the seizing, the grasping, or maybe the great gathering or the assembling or the catching up, the meeting up of the saints in the air to be with Christ. But before we get there, let's situate our text. When we read the text, at the moment of the tribulation, you know that Jesus will return immediately after the end of that seven-year period of tribulation, as per verse 29, where we read, immediately after the tribulation, the Lord will return. We know that when, verse 15 of chapter 24 says, the abomination of desolation is, that is spoken of by the prophet Daniel stands in the holy place that the seven-year tribulation timer will then commence, and at the end of that seven-year period, Christ will appear on the clouds and return to the earth. So if that's the case, that we know that Jesus returns exactly seven years after the tribulation begins, what do we do with texts that speak of Christ's return being like a thief in the night? As 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, which is directly speaking to this particular event of the great snatching, declares, it says, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And again, in Revelation chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said, behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake. And the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, wrote, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And where did Peter and Paul get this terminology? They get it from Christ in our text this morning as Jesus begins to tell a parable in verse 43. And he begins it by saying, If the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house get broken into. What are all these texts referring to? They all refer to the great gathering, the catching up of the saints in the air before the time of tribulation comes upon the earth. Let's just take a look at the wider context of the text that I just referenced about the thief in the night concept. Again, The words of Jesus in Revelation 16, they are spoken as the bowls of wrath are being poured out upon the earth. And if you look at them, you'll see that they are bracketed. They are a parentheses. They are put there as a warning to all who might make shipwreck of their faith, who might, as the disciples did on the night when Jesus was betrayed, fall asleep rather than remaining awake. You remember that, right? Christ asked the disciples when he went to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, stay awake with me, pray with me, be to watch with me, verse 26, verse 30 says. And as he went to pray, three times he came back to the disciples to find them awake? No, sleeping. And on the third time, their drowsiness, their inability or their refusal to stay awake caused them to miss the approach of Judas, the betrayer, as he led the rabble to arrest Christ. they were too late because they fell asleep. In Revelation chapter 16, Jesus is warning us who are reading the book to stay awake, to remain at DEFCON 1 at all times so that we don't fall asleep. So that we do not fail to endure. We do not fail to persevere. And so find our so-called faith a false pseudo-faith. A type of faith that misses out on meeting Christ in the air should that trumpet blow during our lifetime. And again, if you read 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, here's the fuller verse. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then, listen to this. This is important. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are on it, that are done on it, will be exposed. That is the exact order of Matthew twenty-four. After the day comes like a thief, only then will the events of Revelation sixty-six and following take place. And again, the word of the apostle Paul in. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, it's actually speaking. It comes on the heels of his description of meet the saints meeting, both dead and alive, meeting the Lord Jesus in the air before the great tribulation. So when we get to our text here in Matthew 24, what is Jesus talking about? He is warning, first and foremost, the disciples, the 12, but he is also warning us To be prepared, to stay awake, to be on the alert, to never let your guard down in this world, to keep from getting drowsy and inattentive as we wait for the day when Christ descends from heaven, not to touch down upon the earth to establish the kingdom at the end of the tribulation, but to gather up his saints in the air, both dead and alive, before the commencement of the tribulation. There is coming a moment, unknown to us, a time that is known only to the Father when, as Paul wrote to the Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, when the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound with the sound of the trumpet of God. Did you notice all the sounds? See, left, the, the Left Behind series has it all secret and nobody knows what's happening. But the Bible has three sounds associated with this return. Cry of command, voice of the archangel, sound of the trumpet. It's not going to be a secret. The whole world is going to see it. The whole world is going to hear it. Everyone is going to know the Lord has arrived. And they will hear the cry of command. They will hear the voice of the archangel. They will hear the sound of the trumpet call of God. Now, I love music. I love hearing the organ play a great hymn. But I'm going to tell you, the instrument I look forward to hearing most is that trumpet. The sound, the sounding of that trumpet will be like music, great music, the greatest music to my soul. And what will happen when that trumpet sounds? Paul continues in 1 Thessalonians 4. The dead in Christ will rise first, he says. See, Paul is describing an event in his letter. Paul describes this event in his letter to the Corinthians. We read it at the outset of this service. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Sleep here means die. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we we meaning we who are alive shall all be changed you see it when the dead rise because they will be risen they will be raised first they will raise up with imperishable bodies and they will meet the lord jesus in the air their imperishable bodies will meet with their souls amen and amen and they will be with the lord forever after the dead are raised Paul continues in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, saying, Then we who are alive, we who are left, will be caught up together with them, them being the dead who are raised, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So you see, when that trumpet sounds, not only will the dead be raised, but also all the believers who are alive will also be caught up, snatched up, Assemble together to meet the Lord Jesus in the air. And from that point on, Paul says, We will always be with the Lord. Paul told the Thessalonian believers to read this text and in verse chapter 5, verse 18, to encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another. To be alert and to be awake encourage one another in the hope of our future as believers in Christ who will be given the wonderful blessing of being with Him forever. These words are an encouragement to us because we know as believers that whether we live, whether we hear the trumpet call of the Lord while we are still breathing the air of this earth or whether we die When that trumpet sounds, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, and listen to it death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The answer it's gone. This is your encouragement, fellow Christian. Death has been swallowed up by the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whether you are physically dead or alive, when He descends to call us up to the air at the time when He decides it, to, or when the Father has decided it is time to gather the saints, your body will be raised imperishable, glorified, reunite, and if you are dead, it will be reunited with your soul that has been dwelling in the presence of Christ in paradise, awaiting this day. And you will be with him forever. All praise to Christ for this promise. Encourage one another with these words. Now, Christ's words in Matthew 24 are a warning also, they're an exhortation to everyone here who professes faith in his name to stay awake. Hopefully, you have heard that phrase enough that it's drilled into your mind at this point. Stay awake. Do not delude yourself into thinking that you are a believer or a child of God or a child of Jesus Christ or that you have faith if you don't and if you aren't. Instead, really become a child of the Lord Jesus Christ. The option is open to you right now to turn to Him in real faith and in real repentance to submit to Him as Lord and believe in Him as Savior. Professing believer, if the trumpet blast were to happen in 60 seconds from now, what do you think would happen to you? Would you be caught up to meet the Lord in the air? Or would you be left in your seat to face the tribulation, to endure the wrath of God as he pours it out upon the earth? Stay awake! Because this gathering up of the saints... That day, that hour will come suddenly. It will come like a thief and it will catch many people off guard. Will you be one of them? That day is going to come as a surprise to many because as Jesus made it clear in chapter 24, verse 36, concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. See, again, this refers to the gathering up of the saints and Christ's return on the the clouds of heaven at the end of the tribulation. Only the Father in heaven knows when the trumpet call is going to sound and initiate the gathering and kickstart the tribulation after the return of Christ on the clouds. The angels of heaven don't know, meaning the supernatural beings in the heavenly realms who Stand around the throne of God, crying out, Holy, 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 who are always in the presence of the Lord. They have no idea. The incarnate Son, Jesus, when he took on flesh, made his dwelling among us in his humanness on the earth, did not know the day and the hour. But at the time of his speaking these words, only the Father knew. The times and the seasons, as Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, are fixed by the Father's authority. And because we don't know the day and the hour, its arrival will be much like that of the flood in Noah's day. An unexpected event that overtook and wiped away an unsuspecting and unprepared world. See what Jesus said in verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so, or in like manner, will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now what do we know about the days of Noah? First we know that the world was ripe for and deserving of the judgment of God. Genesis 6, 5 describes it like this. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And again, in in Genesis 6, 11 to 13, we read this. The earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So the earth was ripe for judgment. And second, we know that the world and the earth, the earth was unprepared for and unaware of the flood when it overtook them. See what Jesus said next in verses 38 and 39. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two words, unaware and unprepared. Occupied by the day-to-day events and activities of life while remaining unconcerned with and inattentive to the fact that it was all about to come to a startling and unexpected end. Now there is, just as a side note, there is nothing wrong with these things. Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. As believers, we can do all of these things to the glory of the Lord. But when our lives are consumed by these things, when we spend all our waking hours concerned about and fixated upon what we will eat and what we will drink and who we will marry and where we will live and all of the rest, when the aspects, when these aspects of your day to day life drown out thoughts of and praise to and worship of the Lord. When life is devoted to the accumulation and enjoyment of these things for their own sake, apart from their inspiring and inflaming your love for Jesus, you have passed on from blessing to curse. We might think that having a lot of money is a blessing. But if that money makes you forget Christ, if having a lot of money turns your your eyes drowsy, causes spiritual drowsiness, that money in your bank account is not a blessing, it's a curse. It is better to be a pauper with nothing but faith and trust in Christ than to be the richest person in the world and be asleep or without Christ. It is far better to have Christ and nothing else than it is to have everything in the world and not have Christ. Think about it. When the waters of the flood swept them all away, that word swept there means eliminated, terminated, killed them. And those words are explained with a picture of being taken away. On that day, when the waters of the flood overtook them, what importance did eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage hold for them? Nothing! Nothing! And what will this great day of gathering then look like? It will be a separating of those who are awake, aware, and prepared from those who are unaware, asleep, and unconcerned. It will be a separation of those who love and serve and obey and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are eagerly watching and waiting and expecting the trumpet call from those who are in love with the world. Those eyes those whose eyes are not scanning the horizon for Christ, but who are instead fixated on the fleeting desires and passions and trinkets of the world. And you see this in the next verses, 40 and 41. When the trumpet call of Christ sounds out, then two men will be in a field and one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one left. In the days of Noah, it was Noah and his wife and his son and his son's wife who were taken up into the ark, while the rest of mankind were left on earth to face the wrath of God. If you would be taken up to meet the Lord in the air rather than left on the earth to endure the wrath of God during the tribulation, then you must stay awake. And this is the primary warning of this text. This is the central exhortation of this text. If you get nothing else from what we are talking about this morning, verse 42 is it. Stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Now, you know, we know the disciples heard and understood this warning because they repeated it often to the churches. Paul, the Apostle Paul, when leaving the Ephesian church after three years of leadership and preaching there, he exhorted them in Acts chapter 20, verse 31, be alert because people would rise up from among them to try leading them astray. And he closes his letter to the Corinthians, the Corinthian Christians, saying, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. And to the Thessalonian believers in chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, he said, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake. And the apostle Peter also wrote, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. How do you resist the devil? Be watchful. And in the illustration Jesus gives in, chapter, in our text this morning, verses 43 to 51, twice he uses this phraseology. In verse 43, if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. And again in verse 44, therefore you also must be ready. Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Did you, did you hear it? Stay awake, be ready. When a thief breaks into a house, it's a surprise. You know why? Because they don't call ahead to let you know they're coming. No, the homeowner must always be on the lookout, aware of and prepared for the possibility that this might be the night when our house is broken into by a thief. And in like manner, you and I must be prepared and awake because the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, will descend to gather up his people in the great snatching at an hour that you and I do not expect. And so Jesus now continues to describe both the faithful and wise servant who remains faithful and awake with the wicked servant who goes on his own way because the master is taking longer than expected to return. He begins in verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Who then is the faithful, dependable, trustworthy servant with good judgment who is prudent? Jesus tells us, it's the servant who faithfully looks for and waits with expectation for the return of the master. And while he waits for the return of the master, he obeys the commands and performs the tasks given to him by the master during the master's absence. It's illustrated here as giving food to, others, to the other servants at the proper time. Blessed! is that servant whom the master finds active in his service, in the service entrusted to him. Blessed is the one who endured, who's persevered, who's kept following while he waits and watches for the master's return. The blessings given to such a servant are glorious and wonderful. But Jesus continued in 48. If the servant leaves off, if the servant ignores, if the servant quits being faithful and watchful in the performance of his duties, and instead joins in with the wicked, makes shipwreck or abandons what he was supposed to be doing, perhaps thinking maybe that he'll be tipped off somehow to the approach of the master, and when the master does decide to return, he can then try to clean things up. It's like that old shirt used to say, Jesus is coming, look busy. The whole scene reminds me, if you used to watch sitcoms in the 80s and the 90s, every one of them seemed to have an episode where the parents would go out of town for a weekend. And the kids, somehow, someway, through a convoluted series of events, ended up having a humongous party at their house. And the house got trashed, and the parents ended up returning home early. No time to clean up, No time to fix the house. It was a surprise return. There won't be for this servant who turns away from the master that they believe is taking longer than expected to return. This servant who does what his flesh would have him do instead of carrying out the responsibilities and tasks given to him by the master. The master will return on an unexpected day and hour and the servant will be severely punished. Look at the wording. He will be cut in pieces. The word here means cut in two, bisected. This phrase indicates that this is no joke. This is indeed hyperbolic, meaning it's exaggerated for effect but they do point to the seriousness of the event, the seriousness of the situation, the dangerous fate that awaits those who are not ready for the day. And for that reason, you stay awake, be alert, follow Jesus. Now, by way of application, as I considered that exhortation to stay awake and be watchful, as the words of the Apostle Peter once again Be watchful because your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. I just wondered to myself how or in what ways does our adversary try to devour us? Us sitting here this morning. People who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the major ways is by turning us into or pushing us in the direction of Phariseeism. The devil knows how easily you and I can be pushed into or turned into proud, self-righteous men and women who think far more highly of ourselves than we ought. This is a constant battle that every single one of us wages with our flesh. And not only that, but there is a spiritual realm pushing you in that direction. And if we aren't watchful, if we aren't staying awake and being aware of the enemy's efforts to inflame our pride, we are in danger of a fall. This week I was listening to some sermons and podcasts as I was working out in my backyard. And as I listened to them, and then as I thought about my own sermons, I noticed just how easily people in our circles can begin patting ourselves on the back for not avoiding or capitulating on the hot-button issues and high-pressure challenges of our day. On a personal level, people will regularly say as much to me. They'll come to me and they'll say, you know, it is rare to hear preachers and churches tackle and speak out against the sins of abortion and transgenderism and homosexuality and pornography and adultery and divorce, along with the numerous other sexual perversions. Keep it up! Let me just say, it's really not that bold. It's really not that special that pastors would teach and speak what the Bible teaches and speaks about. Now, I admit there are numerous pastors and churches who have surrendered and yielded to the culture on these issues, but there are also numerous pastors and leaders and churches all over the world holding fast to the Word of God who have not bowed the knee to Baal, and what's more... This can't be what we are known for only. Because there are many in the world who are not believers who are speaking up and speaking out about the very same things. And while we do need to remain firm, we will never be flexible on these issues because the Bible is clear on all of these issues. While we do need to remain firm and to stand on biblical truth in reference to these while we must remain inflexible to our commitment to the Word of God and what he, what he says there, you and I must also be aware of pride and its creep and its influence. Let me tell you what I mean. For everyone here who attends Winona Gospel Church, myself included, for all of you who are not tempted by the sexual sins and perversions of this cultural minute, by the sins of those people out there, You as an individual, you must stay awake. You must be watchful and on guard because the enemy is seeking to sift and devour you. You must remain vigilant against sitting in church on a Sunday morning, proudly nodding your head in agreement and elbowing the person beside you because you're hearing the pastor say, talk about and denounce the sins of those people out there. All the while, you become increasingly proud, increasingly arrogant, increasingly unloving, unmerciful, and compassionless to a world of people in misery. A world of people that have been deceived into that misery by their flesh and by the devil. We cannot become apathetic to the pain of a sinner held in darkness. We are called to rage against the captive, or the captor, not the captive. So listen, if you have become or are becoming increasingly pharisaical in your disposition, patting yourself on the back, if the sinners in the world, the mission field to which we are called to proclaim the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in his name is in your estimation more of an obstacle to be overcome than a field to be reached, then you are drowsy, your eyes are about to close and you are about to fall asleep. Pride damns the soul. Proverbs 16, 18 tells us pride goes before destruction. James told us God opposes the proud. Stay awake and be watchful. Nobody in here, not a single one of us, should be interested in or content with creating a comfortable space for Pharisees, for the Pharisee spirit. Because we know that Jesus reserved his harshest and most condemning words for the Pharisees, and that's saying something, isn't it? It always sends a dagger into my soul when someone new comes into the church, and the first question they ask me is not, Are you a Bible believing church? Are you a gospel preaching church? Do you guys love Jesus more than anything? But the first question is, what is your stance on vaccinations? Did you close during COVID? These are the first questions I get. And in my mind, I think to myself, Luke 18, God, I thank you. This is the spirit, I think, that comes behind it. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give tithes of all I get. You and I must be on guard against that spirit. God, I thank you that I've always gone to a church who's done everything right. And by right, I mean the way I think it should be done. That's the Pharisee. God, I thank you that I'm not like them. That's the Pharisee spirit. And that spirit is not welcome here. But it might not be these exact words. I've heard echoes from many who've proudly declared how right and how correct they are on a variety of subjects and how stupid and ignorant those who don't agree with them are. I've heard a lot of name-calling and a lot of arrows being shot by brothers and sisters who should be like this for the sake of Christ's name, turning into Pharisees. So which are you? Are you, have you been the Pharisee that that is quite skilled at ignoring and justifying the log that is in your own eye while loudly and vocally and proudly pointing out the specks in everyone else's? If that's you, the enemy is hard at work and he's winning. Don't let him win. He is striving to make you forget just how terrible your sins are. He's striving to make me forget just how terrible my sins are trying to make us remember to forget our sins and focus vigorously on the sins of everyone around us. Whether they're sinners in the church, whether they're sinners in the culture, whether they're sins around us or sins outside of us, see, all of those sins, they're easy to detect. They're easy to focus on. The Pharisees have no problem fixating on the sins outside of themselves, saying, God, I thank you Thank you that I'm not like them. And if that's you, again, you're being deceived by the enemy. Your eyelids are drooping. You're not being watchful, and that's a dangerous place to be. Instead, as Solomon wrote, keep your heart with all vigilance, because from it flow springs of life. And how can we do this? Well, we must learn from the second man in Luke 18 the second man who was praying on the same day as the Pharisee in the temple, who said, the tax collector, as we read in 1813, the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Depending on your translation, you might see the sinner because he recognizes that he is the chief of all sinners. Here is one of the major tactics and strategies of the enemy to capture and enslave and damn your soul, to turn you into a Pharisee. So May it never be. Stay awake, be watchful, be vigilant. May you be one found loving and living and obeying and waiting for the master when he returns to, give, to gather you up to himself when that trumpet sounds. And if you are holding on to anger or bitterness or the pharisaical spirit over others who have responded differently than you over the last three years or even further back, stop it. Be merciful. Be forgiving. Be compassionate. Remember that you need the salvation and the grace of Christ just as much as they do. Without it, you too would be damned. Let us glorify Christ together by being awake, watchful, and vigilant. Father, we thank you for the glorious mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the clear warnings and exhortations of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in your word you give us everything necessary to be awake and to remain vigilant and to endure and to persevere and to keep our eyes on the horizon as we await your return. And Father, our flesh is always battling against our spirit and it's easy for us to give in to a host of sins. We just named one, but there is a host of them that the enemy is trying to bring about in our life. But I pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, perform the miraculous and the impossible in us by eliminating the Pharisee spirit and by bringing us together in an even closer-knit way than we were four years ago. All for the sake of your glory, for the proclamation of your gospel. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen.